Can we get on with it, please? I'm ready when you are. I'm ready when you are. Fine. Howdy. <laughs> Welcome to episode 62 of the Managing Expectations podcast. Blah, blah, blah. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. With me, as always, is the aide de camp, Brian Grimm. Howdy, Brian. Howdy, Jeff. Yeah, they're totally right. <laughs> Exercise makes you a man, makes you a high energy, positive person. It, it, it seems like uh, you. Uh, used so much energy on the bike this morning that you're feeling a little bit lethargic. You got to get, you got to get some protein in you, some lean protein right after a workout. Uh, actually, I I killed uh, the the frittata from the night from a couple nights ago. Oh, uh, yeah. So Sunday, okay. So Sunday, I'm trying to get stuff done around here and failing because you know, hi, I'm Jeff Winger. Have we met? And, uh, but I, I got some things done, but not everything, but now I'm like kind of bummed because I kind of like to cook on a Sunday when Mrs. Winger has to work. So, but I'm, I'm not going to get it done. So I sent her a text message and, and she had said before she left for work, can we just have a frittata tonight? And I'm like, what, what's, what, what is that? You know? And, and, uh, so it's like it okay so it's like um it's like mexican quiche without a crust so kind of like a egg pie yeah. which is fine except uh if you you know one wrong move and you got scrambled eggs which by the way i'm fine with as well mm-hmm. i don't know maybe i'm missing some of the I mean, maybe God is in the details and I don't know everything there is to know. And actually I should have known that because I used to eat in this restaurant in Denver uh, and they had a, a dish called the Zapata Frittata, which I probably ordered, not because I knew what I was ordering. I was, I was like a kid, right? I was like 18 or something. Uh, not because I knew what I was ordering, but because A, Zapata sounded so exotic and, and romantic and adventurous. And it rhymed with frittata, and I probably dug the wordplay. Yeah, man, <laughs> I dig the wordplay. Marketing worked like it. Yeah, worked better than that. You know, Denver omelet. Yeah, if you notice, some omelets are all like watery on the inside. Is that yeah. is that like the mushrooms? Is that what what makes it? Is it? It's got to be a vegetable. Cheese yeah. would never do that to you. No, cheese will never let you down like that. It's it's probably uh, the bell peppers. And, and mushrooms have, uh, hold quite a bit of water too. So yeah. Tomatoes. Uh, oh yeah, of course. Tomatoes are watery, especially yep. nowadays. Not like they used to be. It's what the old people say. <laughs> uh, welcome to the managing expectations podcast where our topic today is watery vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, as you know, we just had a little bit of a holiday, didn't we? A day of observance. Yes, of course. Yep. I'm talking about Casa Bonita Day. No, Bobby Vanilla Day. Millie Vanilla? <laughs> uh, one, Robert Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla. I'm not much of a baseball guy. Why don't you, why don't you tell me about Bobby okay. Bonilla? 
so Bobby Bonilla was a pretty good player during his time, but the, the thing that he gets the most press about these days is that he is still getting $1.1 million every year on July 1st from the Mets. Uh, that's not all the money that he's getting. Okay. He can is- we just, can we just, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, okay. So he was born in 63. He played in the bigs from 86 to 2001. Okay. He has been, he's been retired for 20 years. And, and you say he's still drawing a paycheck. He's still, and it's not just any paycheck. <laughs> it's pretty sizable. Um, so he, he played for the pirates from 86 to 91. Um, pretty good player, but he also played with Barry Bonds and there were a couple other good players on that team. So I think that, uh, I can't remember if he batted before or after Bonds, but certainly he bat he benefited from a strong bat right next to him. Okay. Um, so he went to four All-Star games in a row in the late 80s, um, had one or had three Silver Slugger awards, uh, which is awarded to the best offensive player in each position. So he played right field. So uh, a pretty solid player. <clears throat> Brian, I also played right field. And did you win any Silver Slugger awards? Um, I assure you I did not. Okay. He did start out as a third baseman, but he had like 74 errors in a season or something like that. So they decided to move him someplace where he may not see as much action in the I'm field. pretty sure that that was the thinking in, in, in putting me where in right field as well. Of course not. Okay. <laughs> Wheels winger. Shut up. Uh, is, oh my God. Uh, no, just some of the worst <laughs> memories of my entire life. I had no business playing baseball, honestly. Or, or you know, uh, or, or you know what? Look at me. I mean, if there's ever anybody who should have been an offensive lineman, I mean, and, and, and I was, uh, see, what's the word? Uh, lazy and undisciplined. Anyway, but back to Bobby Bonilla. Keep riding that bike. Shut up. <laughs> In 1991, Bobby Bonilla becomes a free agent and he signs with the Mets. Five Nin- years, 20. 91. 91. Okay. Signs with the Mets. Five years, 29 million. The highest contract at the time. He was going to be the highest paid player in the, in the, in Major League Baseball during that okay. year. Okay. Wow. Um, but he wasn't as good as he was before. Uh, he was still pretty good. He made a few all-star games, but he wasn't as good as he was when he was with the Mets or when, when he was with the Pirates. And so, again, uh, maybe benefited from a pretty strong lineup okay. that he had back then. Bounced around the league a little bit. Uh, ended up in the Mar- with the Marlins. In he, won a, he won a he won a World Series with the Marlins, right? He did. Yeah, they put together that. Um, I, I mean, they just like they paid yeah. to get like a bunch of great players, and t- they won a championship. And then what? Blew you, when it was up. that? Yeah, when was that? Ninety six. When? Ninety six. Nineteen ninety six. It was. I have they done it since then? It seems like the Marlins have won another one since then. Yeah. Okay. All right. And they play out of Miami, right? Yeah. So they're the Miami Marlins now. Oh, okay. I guess 
the rest of Florida can just go pound sand. Yeah, yeah. we don't. Have you seen Sarasota? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, actually, Sarasota is kind of nice, but anyhow. Yeah. Uh, so he bounced around a little bit, but he ended up back with the Mets in 1998. And so he had signed another deal since then. And I think it was with Baltimore, um, had re-upped his contract. And so he got traded and his contract goes with him, but he ended up back in the Mets in 1998 and it did not go well. Like they hated each other's guts. Bobby Valentine was the manager at that time. And uh bobby valentine's got is like i don't know he may be a north texas guy because he's got a restaurant in um arlington or yeah i think i think he's maybe spent some time with the rangers at some point maybe that's it probably i I mean i i got dragged there for lunch once probably with jared uh and um i mean it was essentially chilies with sports memorabilia or red robin with sports memorabilia yeah or Fuddruckers with sports memorabilia. <laughs> Did I, I told you that thing that I saw that like uh, 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 Olive Garden is like Italian chilies. <laughs> it is. They were owned by the same company. The same. They're, they're, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, it just the funk is different. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, so he was not getting along with Bobby Valentine and the Mets had a pretty good team that year. And they uh, played against the Braves in the NLCS uh, ended up losing to the Braves, but in like game six, the final game of the series, Bobby Bonilla is playing cards uh, in the clubhouse with Ricky Henderson. And that like just sent Bobby Valentine over the edge. And he's like, I got to get rid of this guy. Uh, did the Braves win that? series and advanced to the uh, Braves won the series and the Braves were a juggernaut during that period of time. I mean, they it, were yeah, just, yeah. I, I thought that was earlier in the nineties, but it was into the late nineties. I mean, they, yeah, so they this have, is 90, 96. Okay. Uh, 90, 97. I, I mean, didn't honestly, didn't the Braves have like three or four pitchers that were just great. Um, they had, uh, Greg uh, Maddox. Maddox, Smoltz, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin. Okay. Uh, Greg Maddox is probably my favorite pitcher of all time. Um, well, he's, he's Sandy, kind of, Sandy Koufax, but you know, okay. Sandy Koufax is pretty good too. But, but here's the thing about Greg Maddox is that he's a guy that he looks, he kind of looks like an accountant pretty, you know, I, he's in, okay shape but not great shape yeah yeah um um i actually talked to an umpire a former umpire for the national league and he called several of greg maddox games oh really yeah that's interesting and you never told me that before i uh yeah i don't like surprises brian i don't know where this is going i ran into him at a bar and so i spent like two hours talking to him so (laughs) interesting thing uh, no no didn't work out okay interesting thing about greg maddox is that he would he would start the game uh throwing like an 87 mile an hour fastball which is not overpoweringly that's fast. not that fast no but it would be 87 and it would be right on the black line of home plate and then he would get that call as a strike and then as the game would progress 
his velocity would stay right at 87, but it would just go like a quarter inch over outside of the zone, a quarter inch over outside of the zone. Um, and he says, and, but, and it, he would still get the call as a strike just because it was, it was close enough. It was so consistent. So consistent. And he says, and then by, you know, by the, by the seventh, eighth inning, he's like a full ball width outside of the zone. He says, but he's still getting, he's still getting the call because he just, he's just slowly worked it, worked it to the side. Really? Yeah. Just, and just the precision that that takes is, is pretty impressive. Uh, doesn't he's, didn't he say something tremendous, um, about batters and then that bleeping Tony Gwynn? Do, do you know that? Do you know that quote? Yeah. That, uh, I mean, cause Tony Gwynn was like such, I mean, yeah, as, as skilled and as precise as Greg Maddox was, as throwing the ball. Tony Gwynn was equally as skilled and precise at hitting the ball. Okay. Um, so I, I, I wish I, I, I didn't know that we were going to touch on that. That was a great line. All right. Yeah. But, okay. Anyhow, back to Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla, who so, did not, yeah, didn't propel the Mets past um, the uh, Braves in the mid 90s. So in and, the night and, and, and it could be argued was a cancer in the clubhouse. Yes. Yep. Just did not go well. So in 99, he wanted out the Mets wanted him out as well, but he still had almost $6 million left on his contract. 6 million. Here's the thing. So they're like, okay, we'll, we'll release you, but we're not going to give you six, 6 million bucks today. Um, the owner of the Mets, uh, the Wilpon family, they were heavily invested with Bernie Madoff. They were seeing 10% gains per year. That's and they're like, pure profit right there. Why, why would I give 6 million bucks today when I'm making 10% a year? Eh, I'll just spread this thing out. It just makes more sense for me to keep this money someplace oh, no, else. No kidding. It makes more sense to keep this money here. And earn ten percent, and just with, give with out this a little savant, bit. Of with this wizard of Wall Street, Mister Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Okay. The they their crystal ball was not working <laughs> on uh, what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so so the, so they said yes, we'll release you. Uh, Bobby Bonilla's agent came up with this great plan, saying, you know what, uh, we don't want. Uh, a million bucks today, or we don't want 6 million bucks today. We'll take 1.1, but we want 8% interest on it per year. Um, and so he's paid through 2035, 1.1 per year. Okay. So and that's, the Mets so that's essentially that. So, so it's actually the $6 million at 8% in, in like $1 million installments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were willing to do this because if it was all the money that they were talking about it's still two percent less than they're getting with Madoff right amazing and what's interesting is that he also the Orioles um he's getting five hundred thousand dollars a year from the Orioles how'd that because, happen 
a, sim a similar thing. He forced his way out and uh, they, they had to buy out his, <clears throat> they had to buy out his contract. And uh, he said, no, I want deferred money. Wow. And so, so he's getting like $1.6 million a year for 35 years um, and hasn't played baseball in 20 years. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. Isn't that, isn't that great? Kind of. Yeah. And it's just kind of, see? See, because he's a lazy pain in the neck. And and uh, so, you know what? I could have made it in the bigs. Yeah. His agent, uh, whose last name is, I think it's Gilbert, but I, it, it, um, he's the one who's credited with, with coming up with this creative money. Black. And now, and now this, this, deferred, this deferred payment is, is huge. A lot of people get it. Really, other people. I mean, if you're an owner, why would you ever fall for this again? This sounds like a bad. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, for a couple of yutzes like you and I, I mean, you know, this seems like a lot of big money. But um, here's the thing: own owners. Owners are people too. We we were talking about. Uh, I, I, we're talking, Brian. I've heard that the rich are different than you and I. The rich, the rich are different. However. Uh, there's a reason why seven-year car loans are a thing because people are like, you know what? I don't want to pay 40 grand today, but I would like to pay $700 a month for 84 months. Yeah, that's fine. People, you know, they don't look at, they don't look at the big number. They look at the monthly payment. Billionaire owners certainly are a little bit savvier with their money. They're not billionaires for no reason. But they've got people like, you know, for the hard math. They got people for the hard math, but they're like, no, I'd rather not give, I'd rather not have a $15 million hit against the salary cap. I want to keep winning and buying free agents. Oh, so that didn't count against the salary cap. Uh, it, How does it, that not count against the salary cap? It's, it's spread out. It's not a, it's not a $6 million hit all at once. It's just a $1 million hit spread out over but, 35 But that years. $1 million is off the salary cap until 2035. I believe it is. Which by is. the way, is probably as long as I will live. And probably as long as Bobby Bonilla will live. Yeah, I think he'll be 70. What is that, 78? Well, I, 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 is this, what did I, I just looked at that. He was born in 63, so he's actually older than I am. Dude, he was 37, you know, he's like 36, 37 in, uh, in 2000, another 35 years, he would be 72, okay? Jeez, talk about guys for, having guys for the hard math. Are you honestly going to use your pocket calculator for that? Is that, is that a solar-powered TI? Yes. yes, we talked about this. <laughs> See? Why... Why would you have that when you have everything's in your phone? Do you also have a camera? Do you have do you have an Instamatic for family photos? It's uh, it's not an Instamatic. Those things are expensive. <laughs> it's it's the Kodak disc. 
Man. Yeah. Uh, that reminds me that a Kodak came out with like an instant, you know, a camera like, um, well, I mean, what they did is they stole a thing from Polaroid. And so they, they had this thing and there's a marketing and, you know, honestly, honestly, I mean, I was a little kid and didn't know any better. And, you know, you want everything because kids want everything. But my mom has always made some emotional consumer choices and she wanted, you know, she spoiled her kids, um, which, which is why I was too lazy to play football. Nah, it's not her fault. It's partially her fault, but ultimately it was me you know i just didn't like i didn't like getting yelled at all the time also i i don't want to talk about i don't want to tell my sports stories my my father-in-law played he was an offensive lineman for indiana university was he really mm -hmm. was he really yep what position i think he was he was a tackle of some kind no kidding uh-huh um but but he he i think he played for two maybe three years. Um, and then he, he quit because the, the emphasis on hurting people. Yeah. Uh, you know, like if you're in a dog pile, you grab somebody's ankle and you twist. Oh. That's, that, that's, that's what they're, that's what the coaches were teaching them. And he's just like, I, I'm, I just don't want to do that. I, I can't do that. So. Yeah. He, he, he actually had a scholarship to go to Brown to play football. I don't really know much about Brown uh, University College. Yeah, where is it? Is that is that the uh, Ivy League? It's Cleveland, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't. Okay, I think so it's a big, it's a bit, it's a big science school. Um, okay, but it's, it is it's Ivy League, and so they wanted him to play there. But he was living in Indiana at the time, and he said, "No, I want to go to Indiana. I don't want to. I don't want to move." Right. So, IU. So they didn't, he didn't have a scholarship there. I think that he would, I think that he took, uh, it wasn't as attractive a scholarship, but he still was able to yeah. play there. And that's where, and that's where he met, uh, his current wife, his wife, current, currently <laughs> his first wife. <laughs> you make him sound like Eddie Fisher. <laughs> I told I told Sarah that that next time we're at a party, I'm going to introduce her as my first wife, and she punched me in the mouth. I said, "That's true, you are." Uh, I'd like to introduce you to my first wife, Mrs. Winger. That's fun. Yeah, uh, I can see why uh, first wives don't think that that's hilarious, though. Yeah, but I but I think it's no. amusing. All right. Yeah, of course, I would never do that. Of course, that would be that'd be, that'd be awful. Yeah, awful, awful, awful. just awful. Awful, terrible. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to get into that someday. Um, all right. So uh, I had um, my friend. So my friend Tree Tree Vo, um, it lives in lives outside of Portland, and he and I had such a great conversation. We just talked, talked, and caught up. And what a great guy he is. And I don't know. I it it. it made me think about not unlike uh playing 
baseball and trying out for football made me somewhat wistful about the missed opportunities. But ultimately, I look at Portland, Oregon, and I'm being I'm, I'm being serious now. I mean, I know that I, I, you know, I like do like a faux outrage every time we talk about Portland, which is a, a town for which I have nothing but contempt. But it almost, I mean, but there's some great folks there, but then there's some others. And so once before I mentioned uh reviewing okay so 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 trevo is on the nice folks the good he's he's fantastic he's great he's great he's he's so he's so cool Mm -hmm. i mean and he married well and he loves his mom and you know he you know he works closely with his brother who makes him crazy because you know they're not you know they do things different differently um uh you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I mean, I mean, this honestly seems to be uh, a recurring theme. I mean, there seem to be people who are who are very technocratic, very rigid in their way of thinking. It has to be like this, and then there's other people who say that's that's not the nature of things. It's good enough. We can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, let's make you know, some good things. I don't know. You know, I'm glad that the guy who makes the airplanes that I fly in, you know, doesn't say good enough. Uh, the guy who built my, the suspension in my car or whatever, uh, you know, I don't know. Apple makes stuff that seem perfect until the next generation improves upon them. You know, these beautiful things, sometimes shoes knock you out. They're so beautiful. Right. Right. So anyway, I don't know. So anyway, so tree tree got me thinking about Portland and I dug up a bunch of the writing that I did for the Asian reporter newspaper, which um, I was doing during the period when Bobby Bonilla was uh, wrecking the New York Mets for two generations. And I mentioned once before uh, the author Chuck Polanik. Polanik, it's it's pronounced Polanik, but um, it it aggravates uh, hipsters if you call him Polanik. Uh, so um, I like to do that once in a while too. Is that funny? Uh, you mean to say that hipsters get upset if you don't uh, know the authentic version of something? <laughs> So I referenced this once before we were having a conversation. And uh, if I may, Brian, I'd like, to, I'd like to share this with you now. Okay, so Trevo. Good Portland. Good Portland. Right. Chuck Palaniak. Chuck Palaniak, bad <laughs> Portland. There's a whole lot more bad Portland. So... He wrote, Chuck Polinick wrote Fight Club and some other uh, hideous um, books. Um, he also wrote in 2003, 
Fugitives and Refugees, A Walk in Portland, Oregon. And my review reads as follows. Chuck Palahniuk is the author of Fight Club and other books, including this year's Fugitives and Refugees, A Walk in Portland, Oregon. Crown Publishers, a division of Random House, has commissioned writers of some repute to jot travelogues about their towns, and it was thoughtful of them to add Oregon to the title here, lest it be confused with that other one in Maine. Polinick is much esteemed by nihilistic youth, of which there is no shortage in his City of Roses. The good news is, and I can vouch for this, that it is possible to live for at least three years, one month and eight days in Portland without meeting most of the malcontents depicted in Fugitives and Refugees. The bad news is, and I do hereby vouch for this, that it is unethical to pan a book without reading every single word. And so it is that I cannot remember a less pleasant reading experience than Fugitives and Refugees. The premise of the title comes from Polinick's friend, Catherine Dunn, author of Geek Love. In the introduction, he writes, Catherine's theory is that everyone looking to make a new life migrates west across America to the Pacific Ocean. Once there, the cheapest place where they can live is Portland. This gives us the most cracked of the crackpots, the misfits among the misfits. We just accumulate more and more strange people, she says. All we are are the fugitives and refugees, helping presumably to put the boat people into proper context. Polinick thereafter sinks to great depths to prove her right. Fugitives and refugees finds no hopeful stories of reinvention or rejuvenation in the Wild West, but instead presents a cavalcade of freaks. Polinick's fans will enjoy Fugitives and Refugees because it speaks of him in a personal, sometimes autobiographical tone. The result will be similar to William Shatner at a Star Trek convention. Fans droolingly eat it up while impartial bystanders wonder at the mass hysteria. The difference being that Trekkies go home and stay up all night on their computer while Polinix enthusiasts throw bricks through windows at Starbucks. He is empty and so they are empty. His emptiness conveyed in an artistic manner or at least one easy to read further hollows them, validating antisocial behavior from thievery to drugs to superstitions to orgiastic exhibition. There is a measure of satisfaction in having a Portlander acknowledge the peculiar regional pronunciation of Willamette, Cooch, and Gleason. Uh, this Polinick does in an early chapter on Portland vocabulary, but however forthrightly he may, be, he may begin, this, uh, excuse me, I lost my place. This Polinick doesn't, uh, however forthrightly he may begin, this quickly deteriorates to a demonstration of just how very witty and very ironic he and his crowd are. Apparently, there is no building downtown or neighborhood in the vicinity that doesn't carry some droll designation. Some of the entries seem contrived, 
and are at any rate unfunny. For example, we learn prostitute, homeless street kids who trade sex for money. Well, now, maybe that's the sort of thing Polinick says because he's really a sensitive guy putting up a tough exterior in the face of a city's harsh realities. But in the end, there is the thing said in jest, and then there is the thing that is written, slept on, run past an editor, and subsequently published. Polinick must be 40 years old, and he should really know better. Children are watching. So that was 2003. And frankly, I stand by pretty much every word. Uh, that was because, because as, as recent events have made clear, you know, um, Portland, Portland has just, okay, so, so the thing about Portland when I was there was you did have these counterculture types and that was fine, but even among friends, it was joked that like well-adjusted hippies went to California and maladjusted hippies went to Oregon. So not only were, you know, were there like a lot of drugs, which, you know, however, um, uh, current they may be now, um, uh, do have, a uh, uh, you know, I, I would say a corrosive effect on your personality. Um, yeah, well, and, and drugs aren't unique to Portland, Oregon. No, but then you also had like gun guys, mm -hmm. right? Right. And you've, so like you've got you've got extremes on on both sides. Yeah, but I'm saying that the guys who live in the woods and were like growing weed and cooking meth and hated society were also. Mm -hmm gun guys so so there was like this whole so 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 there was overlap so then you had like the the counterculture hipsters but then you had a, an unbelievable um it, frankly it was a redneck mentality and i always go back okay do you remember at the end of dances with wolves mm -hmm. and kevin costner's been keeping this diary the whole time he's with the indians right and um he uh, loses the diary and two cavalrymen find it, but they're illiterate goombas and they end up using it to clean themselves after defecating. Mm -hmm. Remember this? I do. Yep. Those guys ended up in Portland, in Oregon. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's the Northwest woodsman logger mentality now look right. I, I i think okay so like the uh, a few episodes ago you were you were recorded as saying that you enjoy looking out your window and seeing the foothills and the mountains beyond them and however detached your daily life is from the mountains they're right there right absolutely yep I'm not, I'm not kidding around when I say 
I love the plains of Moab. I like being able to see 10 miles. I think it's great. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just something, I mean, you know, look, I, you know, I dig, I dig the ocean. Um, but something tells me that even in a perfect world, we all couldn't live in San Diego. So I don't know. I mean, I like, I like the unbounded horizon. I, I, there's something about it. Anyway, there are guys, and I, I think including some people of goodwill in, in the Pacific Northwest, they are fiends, just fanatics for Douglas fir trees. They love, and, 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 and it's crazy to me. I mean, it seems so claustrophobic. If you took a, if you took a drive, right? All those, all those, the stupid forests, right? You know, and it's like, and I know that there's people, there's environmentalists and they want to save the trees. So then they make it about the spotted owls, which live in the trees. And really it's about saving other stuff. And look, I don't think you ought to be, I don't think the human race ought to be killing stuff off. Okay. Uh, indiscriminately, you know? Um, so, I mean, you know, it's tough. I mean, you gotta, cause, because people got to live somewhere and then, and you gotta like, okay. So like it gets into a whole thing. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I, like you said, you don't want to just indiscriminately be killing off things, but no. if, if I'm going to plant a garden in my backyard, uh, there's, there may be some unintended collateral damage against the ants and the worms and the snails that live in the backyard. I thought that the worms and the snails would be on your side. Well, you think, but you, you, you dig it up, you till the ground stuff, stuff happens. Well, I would think that would be better. Okay. Well, whatever, you know, and the ants, by the way, the ants, is that something funny? <laughs> you recently had a, a fire ant episode so yeah every time i yeah every time i every time i edge the lawn i have a i have a fire ant encounter you know i mean i you know i'm like rodan's walking man you know i mean i'm just like all scarred up making my way through life anyway um so so i mean look uh uh, what I, I, what I, what I, and I tried to explain, uh, to, um, a guy that I work with who's from Arkansas, but he was like in the Navy. So he's seen the world. He's been, you know, he spent a lot of time, I think in California, a lot of time in Virginia. He's lived in Chicago. Um, uh, that even though I was born in the Midwest, I feel like, I'm a product of, of Denver and Colorado and the West. I, I, I feel like I'm more a, a Western, not like a cowboy, but not, not a cowboy compared to other heroic types or, or romantic right. types, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I would rather be a cowboy than a pirate uh, or a ninja, really. A ninja is just a Japanese cowboy. Yeah. Think about the way Kurosawa's Seven Samurai became the Magnificent Seven. Mm -hmm. We deal in lead, friend. Yeah. Dun, 
You you made me a uh, a mix CD in what was that? Probably it was probably two thousand three. And uh, oh three. That I think that that the same the, time as Chuck Palahniuk's Refugees and Fugitives and Refugees. That was track one. That was great, right? Yep, that was great. That was great. Um, yeah. Uh, apparently, Steve McQueen and Yul Brenner just hated each other's guts. Two alphas. You think that was it? Yeah. Uh, both, both probably not very tall. I don't know. I don't think they were short. They weren't Alan Ladd short. They weren't Mickey Rooney short. No. <laughs> Come on. No, nobody's that short. Dana, Car- Dana Carvey <laughs> telling those Mickey Rooney stories. Oh, my goodness. They killed her! <laughs> they killed Judy Garland! <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's so funny. Just being this crazy old man with a gun and just like... Angry? <laughs> <laughs> just... Oh man, Dana Carvey is is hilarious, and he's got to be one of the funniest guys of uh, of modern times. Even though, like he does, like he didn't do a ton of movies. Like some of his stuff just didn't. Did you ever? Okay, so did you ever see through see uh, Master of Disguise where he like does Turtle Man or something? I mean, because because you were a kid, or did you ever? Would you ever watch it with your kids? Um. Your like, kids if would I didn't sit through it, right? No, they probably would. Uh, if I didn't have any context, I probably wouldn't ever show it to them. But because it's got some funny bits, I, I'll probably show it to them. Does it have funny bits? I don't know. It's been 20 years since I've seen it. Maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it did. Um, did you? <laughs> I don't know what. You know, something. something... Uh, a movie that I associate with Master of Disguise is uh, uh, Jackie Chan, the Jackie Chan movie, The Tuxedo. Is that was that the name of it? The Tuxedo maybe had Jennifer Love Hewitt in it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Does that sound about right? Uh huh. Yeah, I don't think they had anything to do with each other, but I, I think when I worked at the bookstore, they would come in on a, like like the demographic seemed yeah. the same it seems like i would i don't know it could be com- absolutely well it's absolutely apocryphal whether i'm full of soup or not but anyway so my thing is my my thing is that uh port portland's not I, I when i went to portland i thought it would be like just a rainier version of california it is not. It's it's provincial. So I mean, there's like there's like you know there's Portland people, there's Oregonians, there's people that dig the Pacific Northwest. But I mean, in ways, it it has a very, um, uh, it, it has a very Midwestern feel. Like this is how we do things here, and we're really not into the whole different ideas thing. Um, now. Polinick, uh, the libertarian Nancy Rommelman, uh, their contention is that Portland is very accepting. 
to to these outcasts. Now, Brian, as you know, I kind of I kind of march to a different drummer. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's uh, it's funny uh, two the, the beautiful blonde wives of two different friends both sent me the exact same card uh, within a short, relatively short time of one another. And, and, and it's, um, I, I don't know what it is. It's, uh, oh, I, I do remember it. Okay, so it's a, it's, a, it's a photograph of a herd of sheep, but one of them's kind of big and is wearing a bow tie. Now, as you know, Brian, I can tie a bow tie like Sinatra and Tony Bennett, I can tie a bow tie and, and on occasions will wear one when taking Mrs. Winger out. Mm-hmm. So, so here's, here's a big sheep in a herd of sheep wearing a bow tie and inside it said, no one here thinks I'm funny. Surprise, only two people sent you that card. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, yeah, right. So, um, yeah, so uh, I did not find Portland to be accepting. Uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't freak enough to get with the freaks. And I wasn't uh, uptight enough to get with the, you know, the rednecks, you know, mm-hmm. and and you know, I got crossways with a guy who was, you know, kind of a jock, kind of, you know, ran his little corner of the universe like a, you know, like a small town sheriff, like you know, I mean you. You know, he was a, he had played line. He was had been a linebacker at uh, uh, Portland State, a private Catholic university, um, and he, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, he was just kind of a, uh, you know, just just had the attitude of you ain't from around here, are you, boy? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and 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 you know, it 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 leached onto other guys. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, he wasn't the only guy who had this. And what was interesting is, I mean, so I so I go through all this and I'm thinking, I guess in a way, on some level, I mean, look, all anybody really wants is to be accepted into the tribe, right? Yep. Or a tribe. And uh, uh, Portland was a really lonely experience in spite of you know, great, great friends like Trevo and Chapma and you know, the opportunity that I had to like actually work as a writer for a while. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you know, there's been other friends that we've lost track of and some that we only monitor from afar on, you know, whatever, Instagram or some stupid thing. So anyway, um, and it was, it was, I mean, it's kind of disappointing. I, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm always a little bit out of step and I, I that may, I, I, 
it's not always the most comfortable feeling, though I have been assured by people I respect and admire and love that's like, well, no winger, take it easy because guys like you are necessary to, you know, in fact, in fact, I don't know, it's like the Israeli intelligence apparatus has got a thing with like, I don't know if it's the 10th man or the 12th man, I don't know what it is, but it's like one guy is always assigned to make the other argument. One guy is assigned to say, no, this is why that's, that's a, this is a bad idea. And this is, and just like pull it apart because, Mm -hmm. you know, they feel like, you know, if they're going (laughs) to, and by the way, not for nothing, but um, just weird stuff keeps happening in Iran. I mean, power's going out once in a while. It just seems like such a remarkable coincidence. There's a, there's a n- nuclear facility that is offline again. <laughs> That's so unlucky. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, um, so, so, so there's that. So, so, so we leave Portland on March 8th, 1999, a day which I, I uh, commemorate as Liberation Day. And, uh, uh, but I mean, I didn't get over it. I mean, I was wounded for a long time. And I mean, it's like 10 years later and I'm sitting in a shrink's office and he's like, I don't know. It just seems like there's something that happened to you a decade ago that you just haven't gotten over. It's like, oh, well, that's, there you go. That's what the co-pays for right there. Yeah. So anyway. And, and if you hear me talk about this now, maybe you think, oh, well, this, this cat's still not over it, but I don't know. I kind of am. Cause I can, cause I can tell you, I love Trevo. I love chat ma. Um, you know, I mean, I don't have any time to visit, but that's okay. Because if they ever want to cool down, they could come to Texas in the summertime. And that's me being petty and unsympathetic for the fact that it's like 120 degrees in the Pacific Northwest. I it's it's funny because I know that you had planned on talking about Portland uh, on this on this episode of the podcast, but um, I was listening to something to to something this morning uh, before you and I got together, and it was talking about dealing with trauma. And one of the things that they talked about was getting exercise, but but really exercise where you're really exerting, um, and how beneficial that is to working through whatever trauma there is. Uh, so, you know, maybe you riding the bike this morning has brought some clarity to some of the situation in Portland. I'm, I'm sorry, Brian, I was checking my email. What, what was that? <laughs> uh, I was you, just talking about, I was, talk, you, I was you talking idiot. about, I am, I am so not a jock. I mean, uh, you know what, uh, at this point, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to have six pack abs. You know what? That's fine. You don't have to, you don't have to So a woman, a woman came into the store, uh, came into work and asked me whether or not, uh, I'd been losing weight. Uh, and, uh, she seemed alarmed by it. Like maybe she was a chubby chaser. Um, she was in fact, not really my type. Uh, being tatted up, wearing a not today Satan t-shirt and wearing um, uh, overmatched yoga pants 
over her um, big bottom part of her body. Are we okay with that? I'm, I, I'm okay with what you said. I don't know if I'm okay with that. <laughs> My point is, is that uh, exercise, there's more than one benefit to getting some exercise and you don't have to have six pack abs. You don't have to. Yeah. Okay. I've heard that. I've heard that before. And I think the measure of, of physical fitness, physical exertion, physical exercise is good. I mean, you know, Sunday I had a great day. I'm like doing stuff around the house. I'm working. I'm like, you know, I'm out in the sun in the backyard. I take my shirt off to get a little, to get some, get some rays. Right. Um, uh, although, um, it didn't do much for my milky alabaster skin compared to you, you swarthy devil. I, uh, I was outside for about 10 minutes yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> See, I just assumed you read an article in like parade magazine on George Hamilton. <laughs> And like, like a chameleon, you, you absorb, you, you absorb the qualities. When I was 18 or 19, I worked for a fencing company. I was kind of, I had just graduated high, I had just graduated high school. And then I was kind of in, in that in between summer. And so I was outside every single day building fences and I got really dark and a good friend of ours who, uh, is um she's mixed race um but i don't i don't even know what that means yeah okay well in any case she saw me and she was like wow look at you you look like we could be related and i thought i'd just been working outside an awful lot you know lifting heavy stuff up older over my shoulders and building things <laughs> Lifting heavy stuff for older women. So, uh, what? Oh, yikes. Brian just showed me who that was. And she was a, uh, yeah, she's a, a fetching uh, woman my age. <laughs> All right. Code name, code name, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> All right. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, and I've said this before, I've said this before. And then, and, uh, you know, I mean, we, we kind of need to wrap this up, but I'm just, I mean, I, I'm not saying that I can't, I can't. Okay. So like today I had a better time doing the 20 minutes, 20 minutes, I recognize as nothing, but there are guys who like work out and they are just like going hardcore for like two hours or whatever. Okay. I'm just trying not to like, you know, whatever keel over dead on the crapper. All right. Uh, though at some point about the same time as Bobby Bonilla, barring a loophole, I'm going to keel over dead. So whatever. So, uh, uh, 
<laughs> did, I, did I just say crapper? I apologize. <laughs> that was that was the darkest part of the last 15 seconds <laughs> um I, i'm just i i'm not i i don't i have never gotten the endorphin rush of like or, or at least not as an adult gotten the endorphin rough rush of like wow that just feels fantastic like i'm just so pumped i'm so psyched I'm just, you know, man, I'm just hitting on every biochemical cylinder right now. I mean, essentially, it's like, I do it. I wish I was doing something else. I, I can't wait until I'm doing the next thing after this. Uh, how far are we in the 20 minutes? Uh, oh, my God, I've only gone three minutes. And like by like eight minutes, I, I am so bored. It's better if you can read podcasts don't always do it you know Ooh, been listening to an audiobook on the iron curtain yeesh <laughs> the soviets were quite a bit worse than i thought <laughs> i mean i didn't think they were good guys but that was that was a bad deal and i'm like only like like a quarter of the way through this book and it's exhausting I mean, so here's the deal. And I mean, you know, and, and I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, I mean, the Red Army, uh, okay, they had suffered so much, the hands of the Germans, the Nazis, and it fed their ideology to be anti-fascist, anti-capitalist, that I mean, when they, after Stalingrad, when they started moving west and were picking up, they just picked up momentum and steam, and they were terrible to everyone that they came across. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, look, I'm sure that there were individuals who were humane, basically um, good men in terrible moments, but the fact of the matter is um, the Red Army raped pillaged and murdered their way from yeah. the eastern steps to berlin so, war as hell that's what i hear yeah uh so is going over time listen pal uh i really appreciate this you know um this has been a i think this has been good this has been good for me i don't know if the listeners are gonna dig it but man i'm, I'm just i'm uh i'm really this is you know what? I'm going to send you a little something as a copay. This has been very therapeutic for me today. Send it on over. I, you know, I don't have Bonnie, <laughs> I don't have Bonnie Bonilla money or Bonnie Hunt money or Casa Bonita money. Casa Bonita is bankrupt. Did you hear no! That? Yeah. that venerable Denver institution? Didn't survive COVID. Well, so i mean they're closed uh yeah last i read they were looking for a buyer is it a family thing i think so yeah i mean i'm sure it used to be but surely they had a somebody buy the yeah. place yeah i the, can't even the, imagine who would still be going to that it was so it was kitschy it was kitschy in 1978 i had a friend who uh referred to uh when their mom would buy them new underwear uh, so they, they, they preferred boxer shorts, but sometimes mom would buy them 
uh, tidy whities They refer to their tidy whities as Casa Bonitas because of the cliff divers. <laughs> I finally, I, I, I don't, okay, listen. More about Casa Bonita maybe next time because uh, it brings back a, uh, a cherished childhood memory of my dad um, uh, in anticipation of uh, members of my mom's family visiting from Indiana. Uh, going on a rant about having to pay $10 for a GD Mexican TV dinner. He said it louder and didn't oh. say and didn't say GD. It was it was an experience. It was an experience restaurant. Yes. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, because because <laughs> nothing makes a sopapilla go down like humidity and chlorine in the air. <laughs> Chip Gaffigan has that bit where he's like, "You ever walk into a hotel and you know right away they have an indoor pool?" <laughs> I haven't heard that, but it's true. <laughs> oh, so there's an indoor pool. <laughs> You'd think that would be a good thing, right? Yeah. I think. mean, yeah, they're using chemicals. That's good. Don't they? They're, you know what? They're staying ahead of disease. Yep. Right. Better living through chemistry. And that's good enough for you, <laughs> Dupont. I'm Jeff Winger. Uh, this has been the Managing Expectations podcast. We're just tickled pink that you uh, joined us. Um, have the best possible time. Brian, thanks. Hey, thanks, Jeff. This has been great. I've enjoyed it. Let's go to work. Let's go to work.